in body or spirit, please stand for the call to worship. As we gather this day, each of us brings something to worship. We bring the burdens of the weak. We bring prayers of hope and prayers of anguish. We bring our voices and our offerings and our questions. We bring our faith, tattered or whole as it may be. We bring all this to each other and to God whom we worship today. Let us worship God. The proof of God's amazing love is this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Because we have faith in him, we dare to approach God with confidence. Trusting in God's grace, let us now confess our sin. Holy and merciful God, in your presence we confess our sinfulness, our shortcomings, and our offenses against you. You alone know how often we have sinned in wandering from your ways, in wasting your gifts, in forgetting your love. Have mercy on us, O Lord, for we are ashamed and sorry for all we have done to displease you. Forgive our sins and help us to live in your light and walk in your ways. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Know that you are forgiven and be at peace. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel.
Let us now affirm what we believe by saying together the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now we have the opportunity to share the peace of Christ with one another. the children's moment time and if you uh, consider yourself a child we would love to have you come on down and join the ranks here church of the palms that means below the age of 50 are welcome to come down uh, to be with us today so good to see everybody they're still coming the buses will wait um, it is so good to see you all good morning Let's try that again. Good morning. Good morning. Excellent. Good. You don't get to drink coffee as much as your adult friends do, so you're maybe not as awake. It is so good to see you. I have a question for you. Who here can tell me what a thermos is? Who can tell me what a thermos is? Yeah, yeah, it's something you put food in, exactly right. And anybody want to add to that of what is a thermos? Ha-ha. I didn't think this would be a trick question, but let's... Is it something that measures the temperature? Oh, close. It has something to do with temperature, exactly right, yes. Well, you do. You can put water in it. Yep, exactly. You can put food in it. You can put water in it. Anybody else have a guess on what a thermos is? Well, a thermos is, I'm going to hand this. Oh, Carol, would you like to answer the question? It can, keep, it can keep things hot or it can keep things cold. Well, thank you very much. You can hold on to that mic now. So, <laughs> <clears throat> Exactly right. A thermos is something you can put. Often what people do is put either something really hot liquid in to keep it hot for a while, or you can put something really cold into it and keep it cold for a while. And I happen to bring a thermos with me today that I'd like to share with you. I just happen to have this uh, on my desk. And 
That M does not stand for McConnell. That's my last name, but it stands for Michigan. But anyway, uh, this was made by a local company, Turvis. Uh, so we're glad to support our local industries here. And uh, this morning, I put into this thermos uh, some hot coffee. And this thermos says that I can keep that hot coffee in here for about eight hours and it stays hot. That's really great. You know, let me see how that's worked out for me. Oh. Mm. Mm. That's hot. <laughs> Wonderful. Truth in advertising. We have a thermos that's kept the coffee hot. I could probably keep drinking this for the rest of the morning and it would keep me going. So, but it also says that after eight hours, it starts not to be so hot anymore and it gets less and less hot. So the best thing about a thermos is that when you have this hot thing in you, in your thermos, best to make sure that you get it out of there before too long, right? Because then what's the purpose of a thermos, right? Because it only lasts so long. So I was thinking about that in terms of God's love for us. You know, God loves us so much. And when we really, really realize God's love for us, it makes us warm inside, right? We feel warm inside. And yet, but you know what? God's love for us is not just supposed to stay with us. Because if it just stays with us, it just gets lukewarm. It gets cold after a while. What God's love for us is supposed to be is something that we share with the world. That we don't want to hold on to it for too long because we hold on to it for too long, it starts to get lukewarm. We're going to talk a little bit later about a story about a man who, who got, who, who felt he was blessed by God, but he didn't think that he had to share that with anybody else. But the more you just sort of hold on to what you think God's given you, the less hot it becomes and the more it becomes lukewarm and it doesn't really appeal to anybody anymore. So think about that when you're thinking about how much God loves you. Think about how you share that love with somebody else so that others can experience that warmth that you feel inside of you because God loves you. Okay, let's pray. Thank you, O oh God, for your love for us. We thank you that you have warmed us with your love, and we pray that you may use us to share your love with the world, that they too may feel warm as well. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go with Miss Carol on the way to the children's time. Wow, that's great. Speaking of warmth, good morning. Good morning. You've had your coffee, no excuses. I just returned from a week in British Columbia and then to Montana where the morning temperatures were around 25 degrees. Gives a whole new word to that phrase, the frozen chosen. It is good to be back in warm Florida, glad to be together to worship today. We heard from about 100 of our Comcast worshipers who worship with us on channel 189, hundreds of them, and we are delighted that you responded because we are now in negotiations with Comcast to continue that service. It is our deepest hope to do that. Of course, you can also worship with us on our website, on Facebook, and on our YouTube channel. So wherever we worship, here, there, everywhere, it is great to be together to worship God. A couple of announcements for you today. I understand we had our first noontime concert last Wednesday that the Key Chorale Chamber Singers just blew the roof off that place. It was a great success. We hope that you will join us at our next concert, which is November 10th. And I don't know if you remember Robin Rockland, who was our alto in our COVID uh, choir, or our, our quartet. She will be singing, and it will be a great event. So get your tickets. $10 gets you soup and that concert. Next Sunday, you can get your blood pressure checked over in the chapel reception room. We have a nurse practitioner by the name of Kay Smith, who worships in our 10 o'clock service, and she wanted to share her gifts with her church family. So she plans to do that once a month, and you can check your bulletin for the details. We are about 10 days away from the annual chili cook-off. So tell me, can you cook a mean pot of chili? Raise your hand. 
One, two, three. Oh, and someone's holding someone else's hand up. That's good. Another question. Can you eat chili? Yes, yes, we need both. So we hope that you will join us for that. If you're going to register a pot, or even if you're going to be there, if you would let us know, we'll make sure we have enough bowls and tables and all that stuff. So you can look on our website, or you can just call the church office. That is happening on Wednesday, October 27th, from 5.30 to 7.30. We ask that you keep our middle schoolers and our high schoolers in your prayers today as they return back from their fall retreat, that they have safe travel. And finally, All Saints Sunday is November 7th. We are going to, as we always do, print a listing of all of our church members who have died over this past year. If you have a family member who is not a church member, would you please let us know that so we can include them as well in our list of names because we want to do a time of prayer and remembrance. So this is from anyone who has passed since November 1st, of 2020, and if you would get that information into the front office by November 1st. Let us continue our worship of God.
let us pray. Our most gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for the privilege and freedom to worship you this morning. We thank you for the gift of our lives in which we get to know, follow, love, and serve you. O oh God, with grateful hearts, we bring before you our request for your help in all that causes us fear and concern. We pray for resolution for the tensions of world politics, and we ask for your guidance of those who lead us and those who serve for our protection. Gracious God, we pray for brothers and sisters in Christ who live in places and circumstances of danger. Keep them safe and give them courage that they might be your gospel witnesses, we pray. Powerful God, we pray for all those who are suffering from illnesses, including COVID-19. Touch each and every one of them with your healing power, we pray. Continue to protect and bless those who care for them, we pray. We lift up those first responders and all who work in service of others. Missionaries and our military, all alike, we pray. May they feel your presence in their lives and work. Touch those whose hearts are hardened and make them good as, your in, as you intended them to be, we pray. Give your peace and comfort to those who mourn this day, we pray. Great God, bless us as we continue to love you and love our neighbors in word and deed, we pray. Hear all our prayers, spoken and unspoken to you, in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our moment of gratitude today, as it does every day, gives us pause to remember all that for which we are grateful, and there is quite a lot. We are grateful that we have a homecoming Sunday coming up, and this might be perhaps the most significant homecoming we've had in a long time. As more and more people are making their way back, we find that this is a great occasion in which to invite even more people to return to Church of the Palms. And we'd like to you, for you to participate with us in that by thinking of people that you have not yet seen in your return to Church of the Palms, or perhaps those of you who are viewing online, think of all those folks that you miss seeing, and perhaps November the 14th, which is our homecoming Sunday, would be the perfect excuse for you uh, not only to return, but also to think about those that you would love to see again, and maybe thinking about writing them a note or placing a call to them, finding out how they're doing and how things are going, but also then also to invite them to come and join us on November the 14th. Now is as good a time as any. Infection rates are plummeting, and most of us are vaccinated, so perhaps just a personal invite to somebody might be the very thing that helps them to find their way back to our worship. Second thing, uh, we are grateful for your generosity over these months of COVID and you have done amazing things with your giving. And now as we come out of the summer and head toward the end of the year, we still, still have a ways to go to reach our goal for the rest of this year. So we pray that you will help us to remain strong in our ministry to the community and to the world and to keep us front and center in your generosity life. You can also, you can always give online or you can make your offerings at the baskets that are at the doors on your way out. The third thing for which we are grateful is the chance to welcome our new friend, Dr. Cleo LaRue. Dr. LaRue is the Francis Landy Patton Professor of Homiletics at Princeton Theological Seminary. If you don't know what homiletics is, it's preaching. And, um, 
So that's a good thing uh, for your assignment today. He has been at Princeton for 26 years and has preached from coast to coast and throughout the world and remains a sought after preacher and teacher. We had the chance, pastors in our community, including our staff, to receive his good teaching yesterday over at Light of the World Church. He led us in a wonderful preaching workshop and he is such a great teacher. Thank you for that great gift that you gave us yesterday. Dr. LaRue is most grateful for the fact that one of the students he did not have to teach was me. <laughs> he arrived at Princeton long after I left. I wished our paths had crossed back then. I know many here at this church wish our paths had crossed back then. Would you please welcome Dr. LaRue to our ministry? Let us continue our worship with our moment of gratitude.
us pray. Blessed are you, O God, maker of all things. Through your goodness, you have blessed us with these gifts, ourselves, our time, and our possessions. Use us in what we have gathered in feeding the world with your love. Through the one who gave himself for us, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. be seated. Our scripture lesson for the morning is found in Luke the 16th chapter verses 19 through 23. They read thus. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come 
and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. This is the word of the Lord. This passage of scripture I have read in your hearing is not about hell. It mentions hell, but hell is not the focus of the story. Jesus did not tell this story about a rich man and a beggar to scare us out of Hades or to scare the Hades out of us. (laughs) He did not tell it to suggest what kinds of people go to heaven and what kinds of people go to hell. Nowhere in scripture does Jesus ever suggest that being poor guaranteed heaven or being rich guaranteed hell. Jesus did say it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it was for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven, into the rule and reign of God upon this earth. He said that because Jesus knew there would be some wealthy people who would be more inclined to trust in their riches than they were to trust in God. But this story is not about hell. Moreover, uh, Jesus, the historical Jesus, was not the first one to tell a rich man beggar story. Rich man beggar stories existed in ancient Egyptian papyri and early rabbinical literature long before the time of the historical Jesus. So then the question becomes, Jesus was not the first one to tell this kind of story. The question becomes, why did Jesus pick up this story and put his particular spin on it? Well, Jesus told this story of a rich man and a beggar because he wanted to correct wrongly held assumptions about wealth and God's favor. That's what he's trying to correct. Wrongly held assumptions about wealth and God's favor. And then the question becomes, to whom is he speaking? Well, clearly to his disciples, but also there were some religious people nearby. That's what I will say. Some religious people nearby listening in on his conversation. Well, what was the wrongly held assumption that Jesus is trying to correct? In the time of Jesus, there were some religious people who considered themselves to be in the know, who believed that wealth was a sign of God's favor. They believed that if you had managed to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, Things were well with you financially, lots of money in the bank, things that you owned. There were people who believed that was a clear sign that you had found favor with God. And conversely, these people believed that if you were struggling to make ends meet, if you were living from paycheck to paycheck, from hand to mouth, they believed that you had done something to displease God. So Jesus picks up this story to correct that wrongly held assumption. And he begins by talking about the wealthy man. Jesus said he lived in a wealthy place. He talks about his clothes. He said his clothes were made of wool and dyed in purple. Uh, His inner garments, the KJV, 
says uh, his inner garments uh, were made of fine Egyptian linen. The, the wealthy man dressed wealthy. Some writers think Jesus is being a little comical here when he talks about his inner garments because what Jesus is really saying is that his underwear <laughs> were made of fine Egyptian linen. The, the rich man did not walk downtown Saratoga. What, where am I? Sarasota. He did not walk downtown Sarasota to get his underwear. No, he had them FedExed in from Egypt. <laughs> and the rich man, he, he lived richly. When Jesus speaks of the rich man, he speaks of gates. And whenever we think of gates, we think of porticos and palaces, grandeur and splendor, privacy and security from the riffraff of society. And not only did he live well, but he ate well. Jesus said the rich man fared sumptuously every day. I just imagine that the rich man was a connoisseur of fine wines, and he had an appreciation for delectable delights. The rich man knew how to party. And as long as you have something to party on, you'll have somebody to party with. But as soon as own runs out, with is not far behind. And as Jesus talked about this rich man, you could just see those religious people who were listening and who believed that wealth was a sign of God's favor. You could just see them nodding their heads. Oh, yes, yes, yes. That's what God will do for you when God is smiling on you. And then Jesus turned his descriptive powers to poor Lazarus. And there we find a gaping, ghastly contrast. Lazarus was a poor, sick beggar with a bad skin disease. He was so sick that his friends had to carry him to the rich man's gate. And one version says they dumped him there. He was so sick that he did not have a decent set of clothes to cover his ulcerated body. He was so sick that the dogs picked up on the stench of his sores and they came to lick them and Lazarus did not have the strength to shoo the dogs away. And you can see those religious people as they listen to Jesus talk about this poor beggar. You could just see them frowning up saying within themselves, well, what do you expect from a poor, sick, trifling, lazy, shiftless, stinking beggar? And they went on to ask of themselves, what did he want outside that rich man's gate anyway? He had no business being outside that gate. And Jesus picked up on their thoughts and Jesus said all he wanted was the bread scraps that fell from the rich man's table. And the old German form critic, Joachim Jeremias, he gives us insight into those bread scraps. Jeremias said, in that day when rich people sat at party, they would take bread and dip it in the sauce and eat and dip it in the sauce and eat. And that little piece of bread caught between their fingers, they would throw it underneath the table and get another piece. Eat, dip, eat, dip, and throw it underneath the table. And when the party was over, the help would come in and they would sweep those bread scraps up and throw them away. And Jesus said, all Lazarus wanted was the bread scraps that were going to be thrown away. In my home state of Texas, the old black preachers used to say, all he wanted was the teeny weeny itsy bitsy lun bitty teeny crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Jesus kept talking and the poor beggar died and he was carried away by the angels to be at Abraham's side. He has their attention now because according to these religious people, that's not the way that story was supposed to end with the beggar going to be at Abraham's side. For in Jewish lore, when you were believed to be at Abraham's side, you were considered to be in a state of eternal 
blessedness. So Jesus has their attention. The beggar died and some unnamed, unknown, no doubt, buried him in what we would today call Potter's Field. We have no indication even of a funeral. It's gone. And Jesus kept on talking. Jesus said the rich man died. And I tell you, I just imagine on the day of the rich man's funeral, they closed up the town so that everybody who was anybody could be there. The mayor was there. The governor was there. His cadre of rich business friends who were not known to frequent the synagogue, they were there stumbling around looking for a good seat. But of the rich man's demise, Jesus said, in Hades, in hell, In the abode of the dead, he lifted up his eyes. That's right. The rich man ends up in hell. But hell is not the focus of the story. The point of that story is this. God sees things differently. God does not see things the way we do. And that's a lesson we need to learn not only about our money, but that's a lesson we need to learn about the whole of life, about every facet of our lives, that God does not see things the way we do. God sees things differently. You can think that you are doing God's will or that you are in God's will, and you can be so far off base that it's not even funny because God sees things differently. So those things we care about so deeply, pursue so passionately, believe in so doggedly, those things that claim so much of our time, our energy, and our attention, those hopes and dreams to which so many of us aspire, every now and then we ought to stop and ask ourselves, I wonder if this stuff that claims so much of my attention, I wonder if this stuff really matters to God because God sees things differently. I was born uh, and raised in the city of Corpus Christi, Texas on the Gulf of Mexico. And there was a wonderful man in my town. I would call him Mr. Will. He was a businessman, a wonderful man. But he had this inferiority complex that he didn't quite measure up to other people. So he was always doing things to try to to prove that he was just as big as the other guy. He had a wonderful little small business and he'd go down to the bank and borrow too much money and have trouble paying it back. He bought a, a used luxury car to show that he had arrived, but he didn't have the money to keep it up. He couldn't service it. So he would ride around in the summertime in that Texas heat with his windows rolled up. We thought he was smiling, but he was really just hot when he was riding through there. (laughs) And he retired and he moved to East Texas to the Piney Woods. And we thought so much of him, but some of us who were boys growing up under him, we went to see him one day in his retirement. And I will never forget what he said. He said that he felt that his life had been a failure because he learned too late in life that stuff that mattered so much to him mattered so little to God. And I thought, what a pity to be consumed by stuff that does not count, to be caught up in stuff that matters so little. How sad to attach worth and value to something only to discover too late that it mattered so little to God. What a pity to think you are right about something, so right that sometimes you're even willing to tear up the church only to discover that God did not see it that way. Well, I think the question becomes, well, preacher, how do you know when you're seeing things the way God sees them? Well, you probably won't like my answer. Because I think it's difficult to discern God's will. God's will is not easy to discern. And I I know, and you do too, I'm sure, I know some people who go around bragging about how well they know God's will. Oh, honey, when it comes to God's will, oh, I know that I know that I know that I know that I know. (laughs) And I say, well, you know too much. 
because God's will is difficult to discern. God's will often involves paradox. It often involves reversals. It often involves a radically different way of seeing and doing and loving in the world. So how do you know? I don't think you can, but you ought to follow at least these three steps. Allow yourself to be guided by the scriptures. Approach whatever it is with clean hands and a pure heart and trust what Calvin called the inner testimony of the Holy Spirit to guide you in the ways of God. Secondly, may I say that this rich man ends up in hell because Jesus wanted us to know that there comes a time in every situation when it's too late, too late to do better, too late to do differently, too late to make a change, too late there comes a time in every situation, including yours, when it's too late to do it God's way. Oh my goodness, Jesus wanted those religious people who were listening to him to know that they not only had a chance to know better, but they had a chance to do better. But it would not last always, for there comes a time in every situation when it's too late to do it God's way. Uh, this is not a story about hell. This is a story about lost opportunities to live life according to God's plan. <clears throat> that rich man did not end up in hell because he was rich. Being rich is not a sin. Money complements my spirit. I feel better when I have some in my pocket. Being rich was not his sin. Being rich was his opportunity. But he passed up every opportunity to live his life according to God's plan. Lazarus did not stay out by that rich man's gate forever, but he stayed out there long enough to be noticed by the rich man. If only the rich man had asked, why has God been so good to me? Why has God so often blessed everything my hands have undertaken to do? To do? Why has God blessed my family? the way God has. Why has God been so good to my children? Why? Surely God has blessed me for something more than buying fancy underwear and throwing all-night parties. Maybe if he had asked that question, maybe, just maybe, somebody would have said to him, Mr. Rich Man, there's a beggar outside your gate. Maybe God is trying to tell you something. Tell me what? Maybe God is trying to tell you that creature comfort, worldly gain, and material success are not the only things that matter to God. Your bling bling and your Benjamins, your jewelry and your money are not the only things that matter to God. Love of neighbor, kindness to strangers, duty and responsibility to others, a love of all creatures great or small, a healthy concern for the environment, these things also matter to God. All my friends this morning, please, don't miss your opportunity to live life according to God's plan. Search for it. Pray for it. Look for it each and every day of your life. And the people of God said,
Now may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit rest, rule, and abide with each of us until we meet again. Amen.